Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskincast podcast. My name is Scott and I am your host on this show. And I have a wonderful guest returning to the show. She was actually one of the very first guests I had. And we're going to talk about what is going on in Hollywood during this time of COVID and lockdowns and craziness, filming restrictions and all kinds of things. We're going to talk about how they are screaming for content and how to get it to her, how to pitch it. And also, we dig a little more into what Sandy and Kim and I last week started talking about, uh, which is why they hire difficult actors. And she's going to explain all that, which I'm really excited about because I, I think it answered some questions for me anyway. Hopefully it will for you guys if you found that particular topic interesting. But yeah, it's uh, it's crazy everywhere right now. And Hollywood is certainly, um, you know, they've got to be at a point where they've edited pretty much everything that's been shot and ready to air. And, you know, now it's just a matter of when they're going to release it. And then then what? You know, we're we're out of stuff. So we need stuff. And uh there's there's only one way to get it now, which is to go out towards the independent world. So uh, I really like the conversation that we had about how to pitch it. We we talk in depth about what she's looking for, how to approach people, because there's a lot of controversy, a lot of different theories in there. I was just on a Zoom meeting where we were talking about we had a couple of different people that do music for licensing and they were talking about how they pitch. And one of them said, well, you know, you have some um, some music supervisors that just just send them your stuff, say, here's my stuff, here's what I can do. And then you have others that, you know, if you just send them your stuff without, you know, a nice introduction and saying, hey, you know, I am a musician. I know that you're looking for content. I want to see if I can help you out. Um, would you be interested in hearing my stuff and sending it after they approve you to send their stuff, which is the way that I would do it. Um, there's there's uh, music supervisors that like it either way. And so just depending on who you're sending to, your pitch could just, you know, kill your ability to work with them or it could make you a solid relationship if you've got the goods to back it up. So it's it's really hard to say, you know, which is the right path to take. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what physical content she's looking for, what she needs to see to be able to pass it on or green light it. Um, really, really good stuff. And uh, let's see what else is going on. So I finally started the new album, Entranced 2. I was I think I was a little bit hesitant because I was worried that I wouldn't be able to capture that same essence that that made that album what it was. And if you're going to do an extension of an album, you want to keep certain elements of it together. Obviously, it needs to be its own standalone album, but it needs to have that connection both in the writing and the sound. So uh, I think I found my way to do that and I'm very happy. So the first song is underway and I'm really excited about that. And let's see, Dreamscape is out and doing well. Romance for Piano, I re-released. Thank you to my new distributor, DistroKid, who was able to do things that my previous distributor just could not figure out how to do and not give me any shit about it. And they got it out there. So it is now uh, on Amazon everywhere, but Apple products. So it's everywhere, but iTunes and Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, uh, my website, obviously, uh, DistroKid, uh, Pandora, iHeartRadio, um, Napster, even uh, everywhere except Apple. So um, plenty of places to get it, which is really cool. So uh, that's happening. And I'm sure I'll be releasing a lot with them. I'm thinking about a couple of singles for for the fall and then heading into Halloween. 
and then for Christmas. So uh, we'll just see kind of how time allows what uh, what I'll be able to do. But I wanted to thank everybody who has been uh, sending feedback, sending album requests. Please continue to do that. If there's a consensus, then I might, uh, you know, I might review an album that there's a consensus for or one that just kind of jumps out at me. So uh, feel free. I'm actually working on um, getting whitelisted for a couple of them so that I will not get kicked off of YouTube for doing those episodes. Like uh, I was having issues with the uh, review I did for Deep Purple's Whoosh. And uh, hopefully that that will come through. We'll see. You know, all you can do is try and put it out there. Worst case, that episode doesn't go up on YouTube where I do an alternate version of it like I did with Woosh, where there's no music. So some of the references are kind of weird because I say, well, as you just heard, but there was no song there anymore. So uh, <laughs> it's a weird thing. But the algorithms, you know, they are changing and we'll see what the next batch of of uh, software spotting does. I also want to thank everybody who has uh, left a rating on whatever podcast app they're listening through. Um, it's really nice to see that people are enjoying the show. Please feel free to continue to do that. If you are leaving comments on your different uh, apps, I may or may not see them. I will see them if they are on iTunes. I also will see them if you are leaving them on the Podbean app because those actually I get notifications for since that is my distribution channel for the podcast. And um, yeah, thank you guys very much. I appreciate it. I've also found an interesting number of Shazams on my music happening around the world. And that's kind of neat. I wonder where I'm being broadcast that people would be Shazamming me. But you never know. You know, you put the music up there in in the uh, distribution chain to all these different outlets. And most of them are, you know, kind of private listens. But I know there are places that will take Spotify and run it through their store speakers. And uh, even though I don't know if they have a business license available for that, so they may be uh, using it improperly. I'm not sure. But either way, people are hearing it. They're saying, hey, what is that song? I like that. And they're shazamming it. And that's pretty cool. And then I see the number of plays go up for those uh, songs that are being shazammed. So it's it's nice to know that the things that I'm creating are reaching people. That really means a lot to me. I also had a notification on Facebook that my um, book uh, for What Happened in Vegas, my first Vegas book, uh, is, is now four years old. I'm like, wow, it's uh, it has been four years, hasn't it? And I put out the second one a couple years ago. And I have half of the third one done. But, you know, with the lockdown and everything, it's kind of hard to want to go outside and walk the strip and hear what people are saying, because the whole point is to not be near people. So hopefully at some point I'll be able to finish that book. There's some good stuff in there. If I don't if I do say so myself and I do and I just did. One other thing you guys may have noticed that the intro music was a little bit different. That is the music that I composed for Summer's show behind the scenes. And I thought it might be kind of neat to change things up and play that since she was coming on the show. And it plays through, uh, you know, at the beginning of the show, it plays through the breaks and the return from the breaks. And uh, it's kind of very, you know, Hollywoodish sort of, I guess. And um, I had a lot of fun writing that. I had, I think, a day to do that <laughs> because uh, I don't remember what the circumstances were, but there was not a lot of time. So uh, but anyway, it all worked out. She's been using that on the show for the last six years. And uh, it's pretty cool, you know, to me. And she's she's always very kind and gives me shout outs on the show for doing the music, which I appreciate greatly. So let's uh, let's find out what's happening in Hollywood as we dig into my interview with Summer Helene. All 
right, ladies and gentlemen, I am very excited to welcome back to the show. She is actually the host of her own show, as well as all kinds of other things that she's done. But she has decided to traverse the icy caves of the Haskincast podcast once again. Ladies and gentlemen, host of the show Behind the Scenes with Summer Helene. Summer Helene, Summer, how are you? I am fabulous, Summer. How are you doing? How are you enjoying hiding out from COVID? I'm loving it. It's uh, it's such a crazy time right now, and uh, I'm just doing my best to keep my head down, create, keep the show going, uh, helping keep people entertained, and uh, ignoring the rest of the world quite happily. I think that's an important thing to do right now. We need we need entertainment. We need a way to escape from um, everything. <laughs> I, yes. I was going to get specific, but I'm like, you know what? Screw it. All of it. We need we need to we need a way to emotionally run away. We really do. And and it's interesting because I've seen so many people post things like uh, I finished Netflix or I finished the Internet. And it's like we kind of feel like we've been through the content that's out there that we want to see. We need stuff. We need stimulation. We need something to, to get us through the next chunk of all of this. I agree. I think entertainment is one of the most important things in the world. And right now, I think we all need something a little new and something interesting. That's why I'm glad you have your show. Thank People you. People can listen in and hang out and chat. And it's kind of like stepping in on a friend and going, hey, what's up? Right. You know, I I realized actually yesterday when I was listening to your show yesterday, it kind of hit me that uh, I feel like we're at the point where we might have run out of not just the the things that we want to see, but the things that we've been expecting to see. So unless the projects were completed, at least the filming portion of it, before uh, the shutdown, the shows that we've been waiting for are not going to show up because they had to stop filming. So there can't be that many more that uh, that are are just in line waiting to be released. Then I've got to be honest, we are buying garbage. And I'm not saying that figuratively. I, I mean, like, literally things that have been thrown away, we are re-editing to make it look interesting. Mm-hmm. We're buying things we turned down years ago. It's why you can't find anything on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, I can't believe, you know, they're making such terrible shows. No, these films were made years ago and turned down. We just don't have anything to put out there. Right. Uh, I had, somebody had a brilliant idea. Um, it was one of the heads of one of the studios, so... I'm going to say this was an ingenious idea, no matter what I actually think of it. Uh, he wanted to take the South Park animation and rework it into a children's show. Oh, wow. Really smart. Genius. Genius. You'd have to really rework that to be a children's show. Uh, it's had a paramount. Pretend it's a good idea. It's a great idea. Uh, <laughs> I just think it would take a lot of work. <laughs> yes. We're just going to get I don't know how he decided this, but yep, that's that's what happened. He's like, hey, Summer, can you do something about this? I'm like, this is a stupid idea. Whose idea was this? So I grabbed. I'm like, it's brilliant. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm thinking about shows like uh, now Wentworth is one of my favorite shows on Netflix. That is a mm-hmm. remake of an Australian soap opera, Prisoner Cell Block H from the uh, 70s and 80s. Yeah. And, uh, and I love what they've done with Wentworth. And I feel like we're fortunate because they actually were uh, the new season of Wentworth was actually released in the real world while the previous season was released on Netflix. So we are going to get Wentworth next month. But what we're not going to get is Stranger Things because they did not complete the filming of Stranger Things like so many other shows. They had to shut down. So now we're we're experiencing this 
uh, second wave of loss because the things we expect are not showing up. On top of that, I've had, and, and that's exactly it. And I've had, I've had people ask. They said they shot like three months. Shouldn't we get like the first few shows? And I'm having to tell people things aren't shot in order. <laughs> right. It's not like they went out and shot like I, things. I, I never occurs to you to have to explain. I'm now explaining. Like they didn't go shoot episode one. They shot all of the stuff at this one single location, and they went and they shot all the stuff at the next location. And I'm breaking this down. I was like, so episode one may not even be done and probably isn't. Right. Well, there's a big difference in the way that they shoot a television show that actually releases every week versus a Netflix specific show that releases an entire season at one time, because you don't have to shoot an episode uh, in its entirety. You can you can really uh, restrain your budget and just work on your locations at a time and then just edit it all together properly. It's actually probably budgetarily yeah. very friendly. It really, like, it's it shot very similar to a movie in that aspect where you're like, mm-hmm. okay, we're doing everything we're going to do at this mansion we're doing here. Right. And that could be, you know, five minutes of season one, ten minutes of season two. So your location stuff, God knows if that's done. Your sound stage stuff is probably done, but, and exteriors you can buy, but it, it's, it's much, and people are like, but they have a couple of months. Can't they release the first few episodes? But like, it just, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, I, I don't think that that in general, a lot of people really understand that even a normal episode of a television show isn't necessarily shot in order. It's like, again, like you said, it's shot by location or sometimes a second unit is shooting one thing while the primary unit, well, uh, you know, yeah. they're shooting another. Um, but I do think it's a it's a great way to release a show. I would think the biggest challenge and tell me if you think I'm wrong. I would think the biggest challenge would be continuity errors, because if you're shooting, let's say, 12 episodes of a show at the same time, you might be visiting an episode or a location in episode one, three and 12. And by episode 12, somebody might have like a cut on their face or or an injury or something that they have to create uh, that they aren't going to need to create that for maybe a month for the rest of the stuff they're shooting. It's, it's true, but... If you have a good script super and you have a good director, it, it doesn't make as big a difference. Um, if you go in and you're like, okay, we, you know, I, I live in this house. And so we're going to do a season's worth of stuff in this house. When my costumes are mapped ahead of time, my injuries are mapped ahead of time, everything, photographs, catalogs, and everything else. So it, it's not... Um, when you shoot an entire season in one go, they didn't used to do this. But now the way they're releasing things, especially for Netflix, where they're like, here's all of season one, they're shooting it more like a film than they used to, where it used to be like on a weekly show, it would be every week. Mm-hmm. You go to the sound stage, you shoot this, you do it in front of a live studio audience, really, it's like that. You go in and it changes from week to week. If this was a show like that, you could go in. And you would have the entire episode shot because they were shot in order for a reason. Right. But these ones that are shot like a film are just simply shot like a film. And Stranger Things is shot like a film. It's not shot like like a television show. And it gives you better content, but it you know, it's it's better than no no offense to Will and Grace. Like it's it's better content than a sitcom. But the drawback is if something like this happens and it's not something we ever thought about, what the hell do we do now? <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Well, and I, and personally, I mean, you know how I feel about comedy. I will take horror or or uh, sci-fi over a comedy any day myself, uh, except for The Office. I love that show. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's definitely a, an advantage, too, that in Stranger Things, the episode, like the, the story really takes place only over a handful of days, even within the context of the story. So, you know, you can shoot nights and you've pretty much got all your stuff for that entire season. It, they, they, they've they really yeah. arranged it to make it easy. But I look at a show like Lost. Lost had hired a person, one person whose sole job was to just keep track of who had what gun, where it was, and how much ammo they had. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> it's not as uncommon as you think. Well, their attention to detail had to be good because they were all over the place in every show. It was it was just crazy. I love the the effort that they put into that, and that's what makes a good show. It's it's the effort. It's the love. Well, I've seen a new trend, and I want to ask you if this is maybe part of this whole uh, lack of content thing. I've seen a new trend where a lot of movies are being dubbed into English. Uh, and put on Netflix now, like uh, a lot of Japanese movies are being redubbed. Is that just because, hey, we you've got content, we just need to dub it, let's dub it and release it? Yeah, pretty much. It's a, a lot of that. And I'm happy to see that. I think there are some excellent films that we're going to have a chance to see now. Uh, yes. One of my favorite films is called Look Who's Back. It's about Hitler coming back. It's a German language film. And it, it isn't dubbed. But it's very funny and very good. I, I know Hitler and funny don't go together, but it is a comedy. Right. Well, there was a sitcom on the Hitler family that did not last very long. You have to tell me about the sitcom. Wait, oh, that's the one who's married and they come in. I think I saw that. Yeah, it was terrible. I didn't see the show. I'll have to look that up. And I don't know who gre- I don't know who greenlit that. And I'm sorry, but that was just how, how did anybody think that was a good idea? Look, with some of the stuff coming out right now, it could sell. Well, yeah, that's that's true. When you're desperate for content, uh, you know, the standards, unfortunately, can be lowered. But you're when you're saying that they're, they're buying up content, you're talking really about feature films, correct? No, I'm talking about television series, even if it's not a complete series, as long as it's a complete show. I'm talking about film. I'm talking about music. Um, I'm talking if, if you have completed content and you haven't distributed it, they're buying it. Um, Netflix is buying it. Uh, I, I mean, most places are so desperate. That's what they're buying. Mm-hmm. And they'll they'll take it. You know, it's, uh, I know nobody watches cable anymore. HBO is doing it. BET is doing it. Everyone's doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems to me that HBO, from what I heard, is kind of starting to move into that, uh, you know, on-demand service more so than, than cable. Do, do you think that cable is a dying issue at this point? I see AT&T and Verizon wrapping these channels up the same way cable used to. I don't think it's, I think cable as it was has died, mm-hmm. but you can see the Verizon ad. Like if you buy Verizon, you get uh, Disney on demand, you get HBO on demand and you get Netflix. So they're now packaging with your phone service the same way they always did. Um, the phone companies are brilliant. They're just packaging differently. So yeah, it's going to be cable, but instead of being a cable box, it's just going to be your streaming services packaged through television stations. Well, the phone companies have have really been one uh, uh, group of of companies that have really learned to adapt over the years. Very quickly. When I saw that they were offering Disney Plus with Verizon, I thought, well, that's not a surprise. That's that's kind of the move I would expect them to make. I think it's brilliant. Can we talk about Disney for a second? Because I really want to get your thoughts on this 20th Century Fox shutdown. 
I'm so sad. They're never going to see that logo again. Yeah. Like, it, it really makes me sad. But then again, I don't know. It's Disney. What do you expect? I mean, you know, they sell wholesome fun, but they're the biggest purveyors of porn on the planet. I'm still mad at them. We sold them Guardians of the Galaxy, so I worked on one and two, and I don't get three. Oh. Um, not unless they want to hire me. Then I love Disney. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> I've never actually worked for Disney. Um, I, I, but when Paramount sold off Guardians and the Avengers and stuff, I'm like, we have one good series. What the hell? <laughs> It's such a, a strange thing to me to, A, think about the fact that I will never go into a movie theater, hear that timpani and those snare drums. And, and you know, that was such yeah. a powerful logo that they had. Um, but also, it seems weird to me that you would have a gold mine like Guardians of the Galaxy and be willing to sell it. I don't know. I think, like everyone's going to kill me for saying this, I think Paramount's going to sell like, knock on wood that they don't, because I need food and shelter. Sure. But um, <laughs> I, they're selling off their best properties. That's never a good sign. And we're all going to belong to Disney eventually. Um, but I think that's kind of what's happening. And it's very weird not to be able to to, to see the, 21st, like the 20th or 21st century logo again. I mean, they're even talking about pulling it off their, um, their streaming services. So you'll just see Disney logo instead because all the properties belong to Disney. Oh, wow. So any new, uh, you know, any DVD reissues or anything then would not mm-hmm. have that original look? Oh, I didn't think about that. It's really sad. It is. Because that's that to me, there was it made such a statement that um, you sit down, the lights start to dim, they play that music, you see the big uh, sign and the, and the spotlights and everything. It tells you you are about to go on a journey. It was such a brilliantly designed uh, introduction. I think it and Universal were the two. Um, I'm like, two, but yeah, two companies that have you know. I, well, actually, I have worked for but Universal. I haven't. Disney. I haven't. Mm-hmm. The two companies. I'm like, love to those two companies, but I think um, Universal and 20th Century and, and, and Fox had the absolute best no holds barred intro. Mm-hmm. Like when you go in, and MGM, not far behind, but yeah. those really old, old ones, the classic. Of course, Paramount has the absolute best, no holds barred, blah, 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 <laughs> whatever else you can ask it. But next to them, yeah. when you go in, like, and you see 20, like that, dun, 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 like, I'm not going to sing, but you hear that, you're like, yes. That's actually the most I've ever heard you sing. I know. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's amazing. And it does. It, it hits you. It, you get a visceral reaction to it. And it was designed that way. I think I would have a hard time imagining some of the movies that have come out of those studios with a Disney logo starting them off. Because like you said, they sell the fantasy, they sell the fun. But how do you start a horror movie with or, or a, like a dark thriller with a Disney logo? It just it sets the wrong tone, it would seem. You'd think so, but I mean, think about it. The Simpsons, you're going to see that castle popping up in front of now. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I feel about it. (laughs) I am sure they will keep another. They they have studios. Yeah. I mean, every major studio has subsidiaries, but I do believe everyone's eventually going to get bought up by Disney. I just I guess I, I guess I would have expected that because it was such an iconic thing and because it is something that they can use 
under their umbrella that doesn't, uh, you know, connect a, a darker thriller or something to that Disney logo. It just seems like they would have kept that company alive even just for the, that purpose. But I'm sure they had some kind of logical reason for doing it. Uh, I guess it just makes me a little sad. I'm going to take Deb and ask. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to ask someone to ask Deb or Nolan or ask someone involved. But I know Searchlight's still active. Oh, okay. So Searchlight, they haven't closed down. Um, it, so some of the subsidiaries are going to stay, mm-hmm. but I but the major logo is gone. The and that, and that's really weird. Yeah. But they're buying up a lot of stuff. Like uh, Guardians, um, part of the reason it was given to me was they didn't expect it to do as well as it did. It was supposed to be kind of a side note, and it turned out it did phenomenally well. So of course Disney bought it when it bought the rest of the stuff. But it, it's really weird. How about Deadpool? Like, how's that going to work? I think it really would. It would make sense for Disney to take these properties like Garden of the Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy and Deadpool and say, "Look, these are successful things." We don't need to mess with them. We just need to keep them going. So let's hire in the original writers. Let's, you know, let's let's keep the magic of it. And we'll just put it our umbra- under our umbrella. We don't need to mess with it. But then, you know, all I have to do is say Star Wars and there you go. They have their own people. And oh, my God. Let's not talk about Star Wars. I still haven't forgiven them. <laughs> the, best, the best one I saw was a meme on TikTok, which I think if you want to get famous now, TikTok's the place to do it. Mm-hmm. But I saw this great, um, this great video on TikTok, and they're sitting there going, uh, "I do not know why Padme Amidala, you know, the this, this powerful woman, goes for whiny ass Anakin Skywalker when Daddy One Kenobi is right there." Oh, you know, I never thought about that. I get that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and did, you know, didn't she say, like, I, I'll always see you as that little boy. And then five minutes later, they're hooking up. It seemed like yeah. all of a sudden she's like, oh, you're an adult. I get it. I'm on board. It just I don't know. That seemed like a weird jump for me. It's it's, it's the whole thing. Look, and, and then Jar Jar, like, everyone's like, it's not racist. I'm like, it's racist. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, it I don't is. know. <laughs> this shouldn't be a conversation that should never have happened even in episode one it was very obvious that the um oh i can't remember the name of the opposition the, the ones that were trying to take control of naboo but uh it was very op- uh, obvious that they were japanese and you think about okay well they're the guys that are in control of the electronics and uh and you know the japanese in in our world are known for their electronics it just i don't know it was it was very um obvious the parallel to our world i thought yeah we're supposed to be able to draw our own parallels and i think he went too far drawing them for us people credit everyone's going to tell me the same people credit george lucas as the creator of star wars but when he created it he created the first three films with his ex-wife they were composed and worked on and directed and written not just by him there were four or five people in the original group um by the third film there were the three of them then once he divorced his wife he took everyone's name off everything wow so everyone's treated it like he created this huge thing he didn't it was a group of people that got together and did it and once he was given free reign well that's how he got the three new ones right I think where I look at him and and am really blown away is what he created more along the technological side with uh, Industrial Light and Magic. Oh, yeah. The uh, the tenacity of I'm going to finish this film even if I don't make a dime on it. Fine, give me the toys. I'll I'll just take the toys. You guys get all the film. Like he he found a way to make it happen when it was on the edge of not happening. 
And that I have the greatest respect for. But if you go, I, I agree with that. But if you go into the story, a lot of that was his ex-wife. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? That's uh, yeah. So actually, when you go into the history, what expression history is written by the winners of the war. When they split up, she took the money mm-hmm. and left. Wow. But um, the reality is, he is he is an absolute genius. But he had people there to rein him in story-wise. Right. He had people in there to to pull him back. Which is sometimes, you know, what what a what a smart person needs. They need someone like look at our politics today. There has to be someone to rein people in. I always say for those people that that write and direct and star in their own films and then they edit them and sometimes even even uh, string together the music for them, like you need to step away from it. You need to get other people's perspective yeah. um, because if everything's just in your head, you don't know how it plays out. You see it how you think it plays out. So I don't think anything that's ever been successful has really been accomplished by one person. It just might be that one person got the credit. And, and that's it. And I think you see that with Quentin Tarantino. As much as everyone's like Quentin Tarantino is a one-man show, mm-hmm. he's really not. Um, he's worked with the same uh, DP forever, the same AD forever, same editors forever, and they always tell him the same thing, you're an idiot, do this. <laughs> and they're close enough to him to call him an idiot. You see it with um, uh, Kevin Smith is another one. Mm-hmm. He couldn't tell you what camera lens is what, but he, he loves the AD and DP because they'll turn around He's like, I want to shoot him from the waist up. They're like, it's a 50, yelling back. <laughs> so it, it, it's knowing your weaknesses and hiring people and working with people to fill them in. Yeah. And I think what happened was one, two, and three. And when I say that, I mean the originals from the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. He had people standing there that knew his weaknesses. And because he got full credit, by the time it came to making the new ones, everyone thought it was just him. And they're like, quickly. Give George Lucas free reign. Nobody say anything. Right. And and that's where you run into problems. And then because, you know, the next three were not great um, and people criticize them when the, the last three have come out, he's like, I'm doubling down. He's like, they were great. I say they were great. Nobody I listen to or respect can tell me they're not. Um, Spielberg made a joke about making, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, the new Indiana Jones. Oh, yeah. He's like, because he's like, you know, I'm Steven Spielberg. When I made the original Alan, uh, Indiana Jones, I was Steve. So yeah. people were like, that's a terrible idea. He's like, but now that I'm Steven Spielberg, nobody turned around and went, it's Alien, dude. <laughs> it's Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> like, right. And he's like, because I'm Steven Spielberg, no one said anything. But when I was Steve, People were willing to step in and help, which is why my content was better. Yeah. And if you if you look at, uh, you know, movies like Jaws or Close Encounters, it was really uh, amazing what he put together when he didn't have the name to put together those kind of projects. And they were amazing. And it seems like Mm -hmm. once you get the name, the expectations are different. The money's there, but maybe not the right help. And the productions aren't as good as they, they were when you had to fight for it. Now, some, something that was said to me, it was said uh, by John Reynolds, Dave mm-hmm. um, was he worked on E.T. with Steven Spielberg. Right. And he said he just remembers, you know, saying to him then, no, you idiot, we have to do it like this. He said then he worked with him on, uh, and Dev worked with him on an American an American tale, the, uh, the cartoons, and he was producing on that. And he said by the time they got to an American tale, 
you know, John would come in and be like, why are you doing this? It's stupid. Everyone's like, Shh, don't say that to Mr. Spielberg. <laughs> He's like, yeah. but I remember when he was Steve and we're like, you're light. And, and John's wiring E.T.'s finger and mm-hmm. yelling at Steven Spielberg for burning out the last dummy. So it's kind of, uh, it, it's the difference between people feeling they can say something to you and they can't. Yeah. And I mean, I've run into it, not to the same degree, but one of the things I ran into is um, when I got assigned over at Paramount, I became the youngest executive, I'm still by like a decade and a half, wow. the youngest executive ever in the history of Hollywood and like the third woman. And I was with like Sherry Lansing, who nobody thought could do anything right. Um, Deb Ross, first female staff writer at Disney, you know, she could never do anything right. And now we're at an age where I screw up and everyone's like, it's okay. She's one of the youngest women to ever bubble. I'm like, dude, I have a publicist. I don't need you telling me why I'm awesome. <laughs> Tell me before I screw up. Jesus. That's right. The publicist will always come in and save you if they can. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, I don't need somebody touting why I'm awesome. Tell me when I'm about to screw up. Jesus. Right. Yeah. We're, th- the thing is, is that if it's not about the best thing we can do for the project, then I think it tends to you end up with things like the last Indiana Jones movie where the storyline was okay. I liked a lot of the elements of how he reunited with Marion. I liked the whole Shia LaBeouf thing that that being his son. That was great. But the story just wasn't there. And if you can't approach the director because he's too big for the movie and say, hey, do you think that this might be better if we do it that way or there's a problem here? Like, if you can't do that, then the project is already going to not be the best it can be. And Well, that's also why big directors seem to get worse. Yeah, that makes sense. When George Lucas was making Star Wars, he had other hands on it. By the time he made the next three, you know, with uh, the, the, we call it the Darth Vader origin, mm-hmm. um, by the time he got there, and you've got, yeah! at the end um, there's like everyone's like no don't interrupt the creative process of George Lucas where the first one is absolute chaos and it's soup everyone's throwing in their ideas everyone's putting their little bit in to create this world to create this universe and it's films like Harry Potter work for that reason because J.K. Rowling was involved in the writing to a degree that stepped out and you had different directors, different people, whatever. But if you would have stuck with the same director from film one through seven, you'd have had a very different feeling. You'd have had a very different story. Um, and, it, you know, once people are too invested, it's what you said. They can't see past the end of their nose. And once they're big enough, they don't get the input they once get. So I think you make someone huge and then you handicap the shit out of them. Because you're like, okay, you are Steven Spielberg. Here's a cookie. Get me an Oscar. Right. And in the, at the same time, the expectations from the studio and the public uh, yep. get, get raised with each project because the more successful you become, the expectation gets higher. And then when you don't have yep. that creative team, you're, you're just set to let your fans down. Well, that's it. You have this huge expectation and zero support. And that's kind of what it comes down to is it's like, I'm going to give you an iPhone and a match. Now get me an Oscar. Right. So, okay, so they were going to make another uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark movie. And I was half excited, half, I don't know to, what to feel about it after the third one or after the last one. But with that knowledge, do they then go back and say, okay, the first three were great. The fourth one didn't really take off. We're really kind of asking a lot 
to the audience to give us another chance. How do we make that successful again? What do we need to do to get that back? People will go for nostalgia, but they'll keep coming if it's good. So the reality is Spielberg can always get butts in mm-hmm. Um, Depending on where his budget is, is whether or not it'll be a successful film. Part of the problem, the beauty of Spielberg is he gets an idea in his head and it's like an earworm. The fridge scene in The Last Indiana Jones, originally in Back to the Future, one of the greatest trilogies of all time, um, the time machine was supposed to be a flying fridge set off by a nuclear blast. Oh. That was what was in Spielberg's head. And it changed and it changed and it ended up where it did. But this fridge thing was still in his head, so it ended up in Raiders of a Lost Ark. Um, when you have a director like Spielberg, whether it's good or not is what's stuck in his head at the time and whether it works. I think Spielberg can still put together something that is good for an audience and still interesting. Whether or not people will give him a chance really, really, really depends on how he does on social media. If he can push the nostalgia thing, 100%, it'll do well. If he can push... So, okay, I'm going to pretend I'm doing his distro distro for a minute, his his online media marketing. What I would tell him to do would be um, put Back to the Future 1, 2, and 3 on Netflix. Do um, I know we're past the the 10-year mark, but I'm sure we're coming up on some anniversary even if it's like 21 years or 30, whatever, mm-hmm. 30 years, right? We're coming up on 30 years from it. Great. I time it for that. Um, I do a Back to the Future push. I do a Raiders push. I'd release Back to the Future for a while to remind everyone how amazing he is. Then I would release Indiana Jones 1, 2, and 3, the originals. Um, on Netflix, or not release, not release 4. Um, I would jump on TikTok and do a thing on where where do you see Indiana Jones now? What do you see this? What do you see that? Do that. Do some uh, PR ahead of time with Harrison Ford, and really, um, really kind of get the original team, not just Spielberg, but the original team together, and say where do you guys see Indiana Jones going, and do it that way. Original right is the whole thing because if you're going to go into a franchise. I think pulling away from what works is incredibly stupid. We've seen it happen time and time and time again. Right. Back to the Future, the three of them worked because nothing changed. I mean, sure, they changed Jennifer, but who gave a shit about Jennifer? Well, Crispin Glover, too. Uh, he was, was it Crispin Glover only in the first one? He was only in the first one. Then they used the prosthetic mask that aged him and put it on a lookalike actor. And then Crispin Glover shoot, sued the shit out of them. <laughs> yeah, so, that yeah, that went well. Like Crispin Glover the shit out of them. Um, and by three, it didn't really matter because you showed that he got his looks from his, you know, his great, great uncle that was just like it, whatever. So the point is they managed to pull it off in three and two. They completely broke the wall, broke the contract and got sued and lost. But fine, it worked. He was just hanging upside down and the guy had a prosthetic on. Crispin Glover is an excellent actor. Pain in the ass, excellent actor. Um, but I think where people get caught, when you step away from the original groupings, you lose something. He didn't change the people he was using on these films. He didn't change the feeling. I mean, if you'd have changed Chris Lloyd, you'd have ruined it. If you'd have changed uh, Mr. Canada, you'd have changed it. Michael J. Fox, but I'm going with Mr. Canada. Um, (laughs) He just did an amazing appearance a while back. Um, His Parkinson's is getting bad, and he still Mm -hmm. did a gorgeous interview where he came forward in the future. 
with uh, Doc Brown on uh, Kimmel. It was really well done. Oh, I, yeah, I saw that. That was so cool. I love that they did that. I thought it was wonderful. But you're right. You you could not take Chris Lloyd out of that movie and have mm-hmm. anybody really care about it because even though he was only in it a certain percentage because it really followed the story of Marty more so than the doc. If if they interchange, like if, if they just put somebody else in there, like they did in uh, the Hannibal movies, um, it just, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I didn't think it worked there either. No, I, I like, and I like uh, the one that upset me was that uh, Julianne Moore, they replaced, uh, what's the face with Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. Yeah. I like Julianne Moore, but here's what I didn't understand about that. If you can't get the original actor, just create a new character. I agree. That's all they I would have had to do because I watched that whole movie seeing Julianne Moore, but thinking of the 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 character that um that Jodie Foster Jody created. Foster and and I kept mm-hmm. seeing that. I couldn't see it as a separate character because it wasn't a separate character. Just change the name. It's it could have been anybody. I agree with you. I agree with you. I think one of the best things, um Jodie Foster is too strong an actress. For anyone to come in and play Jodie Foster. Yeah. Like years ago, once upon a time when I was acting, I played Sharon Stone. She's not a hard character to play. I've also played Marilyn Monroe. Again, that's more of a caricature. But when you look at Jodie Foster, she, where uh, Sharon Stone plays Sharon Stone in every freaking film. So playing her is not hard because she only ever plays her. Jodie Foster is a different character. You can't put Nell next to um, Silence of the Lambs and tell me that's a film actress. Right. I think if, if they ever make a movie about Jodie Foster, Jodie Foster is going to have to play Jodie Foster. Oh, 100 <laughs> percent. Well, I think they'll, use, they'll They're going to try Jennifer Lawrence. I have a feeling that's where it's going to go. Maybe Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep could play Jodie Foster. I know it's the wrong thing. I know we're going the opposite direction with age, but I think Meryl Streep could play Jodie Foster. Well, if you're talking about purely on the talent scale, I, I might have to agree with you, although I would love to see Jennifer Lawrence give that a shot. So would I. I would also just love to hang out with her. Just like sit down and have a beer. I think that'd be so much fun. <laughs> She's cool people, too. I believe that. I have never played a celebrity in a movie because I'm not really an actor, but I did uh <laughs> I did work on the English overdub of the first Melanie Griffith movie called Roar. And she was a teenager and they had lost the initial because uh, it was done in English, but they lost the soundtrack. And to re-release it on DVD, they had to take a uh, foreign sound- soundtrack that had been dubbed and redub it back into English. So I got to play a couple of different characters and watch them dangerously make a movie with way too many lions. I don't know how everybody on the set didn't get eaten. She was living with them. That was the whole thing. She was living with them. Her and Tippy Hedren. But that just, I mean, isn't the rule kind of like if you don't have to work with animals, you don't work with animals because they're too unpredictable. Don't work with animals. Don't work with children. Well, I have a question for you because we were my guest Sandy and I were talking about this on the last show. And I, I hate to uh, use her as an example. Of course, I can't think of her name right now. Oh, uh, Kath- Catherine Heigl. OK, she's a real pain in the ass. Well, that's my question for you. So let's use her as an example again, not to pick on her. I don't know her. I, I think the movies that she makes are, are they're, they're like the cute romantic ones that I wouldn't watch anyway. But I don't mean to pick on her, but she's a perfect example because of what you just said. She's so known to be a pain in the ass. Why do people keep hiring an actress that they know to be difficult? Does her name really sell the movies enough to be worth that? Well, it has to do with clout. If you got, like, I'd hire Catherine Handel. 
no matter how big a pain in the ass she is. Um, if I've got a B or C list director, if I have Spielberg, I'm not hiring Catherine Heigl. Mm-hmm. Like, it really depends on clout. Does she have more clout than Steven Seagal? Yes. Does she have more clout than random director B? Yes. Is it the best he can get for the money he's got? Yes. Yeah. I kind of had a feeling that's what it might be because obviously the budget is going to make a big impact on it. She obviously can sell movies. Well, if you've got the money, you hire Sandra Bullock, not (laughs) freaking Catherine Heigl. Right. Right. That's a good point. No, it's going to be like Naomi Watts. Let's pass on Naomi Watts. I want Catherine Heigl. (laughs) Who who does that? (laughs) Nobody's going to do that. It just it amazes me that because there's so many talented actors out there that it just seems like once you've been deemed that pain in the ass, you're really not work worth working with. We have to work extra hard to get people in the right mode to film the scenes, that sort of stuff. It seems like we just go with someone else. Yes, I know. So name value has a point. Like the uh, the, the the old saying is, it's not those that have made it that are an asshole. It's those that want to show you they have, those that want to pretend. Mm-hmm. Um, in cases like Catherine Heigl, now that you've seen her go up and destroy her writers at the Emmys and mess all the stuff up she messed up, you're never, ever going to see her the way you see Reese Witherspoon. And I don't mean drunk on the side of the highway. Right. Uh, I mean in, like, walk the line. Mm-hmm. Reese Witherspoon can be difficult, so can J-Lo. But they're both known for putting on an excellent performance. They don't take extra time to shoot. They're good to their directors. Like, for all of... Um, uh, J-Lo's request. I want a plane, make everything white, like all of the drama. She puts on an excellent show. She's reliable. She's not one minute late. She works well with others. That's the end of it. So there's a certain amount of crap you put up with for a name. Like, I want white flowers in my room. Fine. Um, there's a certain amount of drama you put up with on set. I'm a method actor. I need everything this character has. You're going to give me an A-list performance. You've got a big name, fine. Mm-hmm. But, see, there aren't a lot of Catherine Heigl's. She was once upon a time a major A-lister. And she still has the name to draw an audience, but she doesn't have the clout to pull a paycheck. So she's a name you can get that's cheap. So she would be something like, we've got a movie that's being made for Netflix, or we've got a movie that's going to have a theatrical release, but it's not, you know, a hundred million dollar picture. We could get somebody who is enough of a name, but somebody that we're going to have to put up with a little bit. That's worth it. But we're not going to use somebody like that when we're paying actors top dollar because we don't need that drama on set. We need to make this movie. There's a reason you didn't hear as a Scarlet Witch. You'd rather have a no name who can pull off the role because you've got so many heavy hitters than you would a Catherine Heigl. Her name has value. She's known for having some talent, so you know she's not going to botch the film. But she's, uh, she's, yeah, she's enough of a draw that we have $10 million to make this movie. She's going to cost four, but the movie's all shot in a bottle. It's in one room. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, let's use Catherine Heigl. We have $100 million to make a movie. We're calling Sandra Bullock. Right. Yeah. I think it's a shame because I do think she's a good actress. I think that she plays her roles well. I think she creates good characters. They're very believable. I think she's wonderful. Um, she she does create emotion. But if if you if you I just yeah, with the baggage that comes with it, it's it's gotta be worth it. And since actors really aren't selling the films anymore, 
it's got to be a really weird thing in Hollywood when you can hire Johnny Depp and not have it be a blockbuster like uh, uh, what was it uh, Tonto the um, the Lone Ranger movie. Yeah, that was bad. Does it get weird to know what to do when when actors just aren't selling every single film just because they're in it anymore? Well, they never did sell every film. So there there was a point where they, once upon a time, you could sell a movie just because you had Brad Pitt in it. But you were marketing towards 13-year-old girls. You could do the same with Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, But Johnny Depp has always been unreliable. So he's... um, the context is right that the actor, to a degree, is wrong. Johnny Depp was always known for being really, really unreliable because on the one hand, he'd do what's eating Gilbert Grape, and the next year he'd put out Ed Wood. Mm-hmm. So with him, even when you set it up for a blockbuster, you didn't know if you were going to get, you know, Chocolat or Benny and June. Well, I think it's interesting because when I found out that The Lone Ranger was coming out, my first thing... My initial, uh, uh, I guess, reaction was, why is anybody making a movie about the Lone Ranger? That's not, it's not popular in culture right now. There's no connection to anything. It just seemed like a really weird thing to make. Because if they didn't make it, they'd have lost rights to it. One of the weird laws with copyright is, I had this for 50 years. If I don't remake it and do something with it, it's going to end up into public domain that anyone can the uh-huh. reason they just redo Lion King, things like that, isn't because they need to or because they think you're going to enjoy it. It's, it's a copyright issue. Okay. I know that sounds so like boringly weird, but it's copyright. And it's the reason you hire someone like Johnny Depp and some unknown to head it. Because if Johnny Depp does a good job, great. Let's hope we can do what he did with Pirate. On the flip side, if he doesn't, well, we got the copyright back. So it's not the risk you'd think it is. That's interesting. And that certainly explains a lot of the remakes that we've seen over the last 10 years or so. Things were coming up due. So the laws make it very difficult for um, for us to, to move away from doing that. But if once the copyright's up, like the, the only exception to the major copyright laws is Peter Pan, because the rights were given to a hospital, a children's hospital. Mm-hmm. So um, when he died, he had it enforced so that it never quite hit public domain in the same way. Okay. Any stage production in England of uh, Peter Pan belongs to this. All the money goes to this weird, to this children's hospital. Oh, that's very interesting. But other than that, once things hit public domain, that's the end of it. Okay. So they gave it to Johnny Depp not because they expected him to ace it, but because they thought maybe he could. But if he doesn't, it's okay. That's what I mean by Johnny Depp's unreliable and that particular, like that particular movie, you're dead right on what you're saying, but that particular movie and that particular actor had its own like weird explanation. (laughs) So I'm like, you're right. But in this particular case, you know, it was, it was a little different than the norm. But in general, what do they do when, um, actors don't perform? We cry. Like I've, I've never had a film flop, but if you do, that can be the end of your career. Like, that's the end of it. I, I kind of felt like it, that they put Johnny Depp in there just to see if it had a chance to be saved, because I don't I just think it was des- destined to be a failure because it wasn't a movie that anyone was really going to engage with anyway. You're, you're dead right. You're dead right. They put Johnny Depp in because they thought he was their best chance. 
and they had to do something with it. I feel bad for him now because that that really fell on him in the public eye, at least that he couldn't sell that movie. I mean, you could you could give me a bag of garbage and say, go sell this and no one's going to want a bag of garbage. Pretty much. He was he was set up badly there. But the reality is, is they're not going to say to the actor, we don't care if you can sell this. We're not going to put the money and time into distribution that we should. And they didn't. And they should have put more money and time into distribution. There's more that could have been done. John Carter was another one. It nearly tanked Disney. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, not, you know, the worst film in the world, but it was badly, badly handled. Nearly bankrupted Disney Studios. Wow. Ironic now, given that they're buying everything. But <laughs> right. um, they called the old boys back in to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. The reality, but that that's the reality of it. Like, they put Johnny Depp in a position where they're like, okay, if this film does well, great. If it doesn't, we still got to keep the rights to it. Um, but on the flip side, uh, we're not going to put the money into distribution. We're not going to put the focus groups out that we normally put in. We're just not going to put the work out that we usually put in. So they're basically saying we just we're just doing this for this reason to retain the copyright on it. Whatever, if if we make our money back, great. If we don't, we've we've got the copyright. We could do something with it later. Pretty much, yeah. They make a lot of films for that reason. It's really sad. And the actors, the ones that get screwed, and the actors get screwed. Mm-hmm. And that's a shame. I'm curious, you know, as as time rolls on and people that were, like you said, you know, the old boys as they uh, retire or get forced out or go to jail or whatever happens to them. Uh, <laughs> do you I, I'm not picking on anyone in particular, but that has happened recently. Harvey. Harvey um, but uh, how, do you see Hollywood moving aside from the covid situation and, and the, the minimalization of filming right now? Do you see things moving in a more positive direction um, in, in us not just replacing bad people with other bad people? Only if people give a shit. The biggest problem Hollywood has is nobody cares. The general public doesn't care. You don't care who's making the films as long as you get the film you want. You don't care if, like, they trashed um, that idiot woman from Transformers on Megan Fox. I really yeah. don't like her, but not for the reasons that the rest of the world doesn't like her. They trashed her and ignored the fact that she was a teenage girl being sexually harassed by a director. Right. Um, They just absolutely trashed her. If and when people start giving a damn, yeah, things will move in a better direction. But right now, who gives a damn? I mean, nobody cares. Nobody cares at all. And that's, that's always the problem. Um, but I have heard of a lot of situations over the past couple of years, at least, where the male actors are standing up and saying, um, I'm not doing this unless my female co-star gets the same pay I do. Uh, is that a reality or is that a publicity thing? A little column A, a little column B. Mm-hmm. You've always had the ones like uh, the cast of Friends that negotiated together. You've always had the ones that got along, who were like the, the joke uh, we used to make was they are the, the, Ob- the Obama and Biden of Hollywood, the ones that are actually friends, not just doing it for show, mm-hmm. they've always stuck together. That's always been a thing. The flip side of that is the people that really don't care. If I'm being offered $60 million to do a film, I'm being offered $20 million, and I don't know you, mm-hmm. like you had it with uh, Men in Black and um, the two actors from Thor. Like, he was originally offered more, 
and it didn't even get to them making her an offer. He said, well, she's going to get the same, right? Because she's the least. Mm-hmm. Like, that didn't even make it to it having to be an argument. He said it before it was. But they were friends. But that also goes to the clout that you were talking about, because if Chris Hemsworth says, "I this is what's going to happen, it's probably going to happen. Yeah. And, and that's the difference. When you have Chris Hemsworth saying uh, she's worth this, and I better see that she's worth this, as long as you're treating her right, I'll do the film. That's great. But when you don't have that clout, nobody cares. Yeah, that's true. And you can't just replace him with Julianne Moore. No, <laughs> she's excellent. Um, I loved her in that, that Sarah Palin movie, but no, you cannot. Yeah, she was. There was a movie that she did. The first one I really remember seeing her in called The Forgotten, uh, and it was it was just such an amazing movie. And I watch. I'm watching this movie going. I really like this actress. She's so talented and I'm really glad to see that she's had such an amazing career, but I, and I don't fault her for doing that Hannibal movie, but you know, from the viewer perspective, it just, you know, like I said, for me, it fell short. Um, Oh, it did. Do you think though, that the, the mentality as far as the abuse is, is changing at all? No, I think that the, I know girls that are still suffering it all the time. Um, the you know the story of the uh, guy that assaulted me. Yes, one of the A-listers. Um, mm-hmm. He's assaulted a lot of women that I know, um, and I'm still under contract. I still can't say who he is, right. or I'll never work again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of girls that are in that position. So it's really easy to say things are changing, but the ones that are getting in trouble are the actors that were past their usefulness. Yeah, it's not like these are the the guys that are currently doing it. I'm going to say this. Brad Pitt did not molest anyone, but I'm using him as an example. I have to preface it with this. Yes. So I don't want anyone being like, Brad Pitt, but like, no. As far as I know, and that's all I can say, um, is, is, is that he didn't. In fact, I've never even heard a rumor that he did. Um, not even so much as a rumor, just to be clear. Um, but as long as like Brad Pitt, he's still useful. Why would you turn on him when you can turn on Gene Wilder? He's already dead. Right. The people that they turn, that they they're giving up are people that aren't bringing crowds anymore. So it's kind of like the sacrificial lamb. Very true. There are people currently working today that have done this. Uh, again, one of them, you know, a couple of A-listers have done it to me. But the biggest A-lister that did it to me, uh, you know about. And if I talk about it, I'm not working. Right. And again, I like foodie shelter. <laughs> well, yeah, and I understand that from your standpoint, but at the same time, what I don't get is the concept of protecting somebody that causes those kind of problems, did it to use, done it to other people, will continue to do it to other people. It's really supporting that by not shutting I it agree. down. I agree. I um, agree. But it's also the flip side of we all know. Like, I knew never to work with your currency. Everyone knew that. Mm-hmm. Um, Harvey Weinstein, I never had a problem with and Ron Jeremy, who's in trouble, I never heard of him assaulting anyone, and he was really nice to me. So I had, I was really surprised by that. He was always really kind, at least to me. But by the time it all came out about Bill Cosby, he was already retired, done, out of the well picture. Well, Cosby, Exactly. But take a guy like Kevin Spacey, who was on one of the top-ranked shows when all of that came out about him. And his his career, I would imagine, is done. Um why, I don't get p- how they pick and choose who they protect and who they don't when you've got somebody at the top of their game. 
was it just it, when it was beyond their control? Yeah. Once that came out, that was a whole different thing. It's also how Kevin Spacey tried to to uh, to spin it. Like Kevin Spacey was really dumb. He tried to spin it like I'm coming out as gay, and the gay community is like, "Fuck you!" Right. We're we're already like the best one I heard was we're already associated. Like people already think we're going to molest kids. Don't come out as gay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think if he didn't come out as as gay, and the community, the gay community, hadn't turned on him the way they did which I'm really glad they did, Mm -hmm. Um, I I think he would have survived it. I think he could have spun that. Um, I know I could have. So I'm sure people better than me could have. Because I know, you know, like the CDs, um, she would never have touched him, but she could have spun it. Do you think there's uh, ever going to be a possibility for a comeback for, for someone in his position? Kevin Spacey, yes. Really? Most people, no. Um, I think that if we either collectively need to turn around and get rid of the NDAs and the contracts that say you can't say when someone molests you, because like a literal one of the clauses in the contract is I can't do that. Um, and it's not just that I wouldn't be able to work. Something people don't look at is I tell everyone, and you can ask um, Scott, I told him who this was. Anyone that I've ever signed contracts with, any woman I've ever worked with, I tell them that that's all I can do because if I come out publicly or I sued him uh, it's not just that I wouldn't work right then I would absolutely never ever work again and I have absolutely no other skill set so they put you in a position where your choice is food and shelter so a lot of girls make the decision and a lot of guys make the decision I make which is I can't say anything if I say something I'm going to get sued I'm going to lose everything and I'm never working again so I'm just going to tell everyone I know and everyone I come in contact with. And and I do. And I know a lot of girls that do the same thing where they're like, uh, well, I'm not allowed to say this, but don't work with this person because they're a rapist. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, and I get the, you have to protect yourself first. You have to have food, you have to have shelter, you have to have a future and you have a right to all those things. I, I understand that. The issue that I have is that it was ever in a contract to begin with. I don't even think it's about just protecting yourself. One thing, if I get kicked out, I take uh, the women, and I bring in a lot of women under me. I take the women that I've brought in who are looking for a foothold in this industry out with me right. because I'm considered unreliable. It reflects on them. Yeah. I take away any opportunity I have to hire women and minorities, and I hire a lot of women and a lot of minorities. Um, so it's not just losing your position is losing the opportunity to help. Right. I genuinely believe I can do more good in the industry than out. Um, it's not just about money. I'm used to giving that line and saying, you know, because I like food and shelter and, and, and like popping off being smart now. Right. But the reality is if I screw up, um, for those of you that know, I have an assistant named Alexis. Everything is about who you came in under. I still get work because I came in under Paul over at Paramount. People still hire me simply because I was Paul's girl. Um, and they know the kind of work they're going to get. Alexis has gone on jobs and gone and done different things simply because I hired her and people trust me. Everything is who you know. And so if I do that, it's not just my career that I'm frying. It's a lot of people's. Yeah. And so the question becomes, can I do more by being in and hiring the right people and telling my friends so that even if they get the opportunity to work with this A-lister, they don't have to be alone with them. 
Um, or do I play whistleblower, which, by the way, I'm not opposed to. I think that's a wonderful thing to do, um, and I think it's a very necessary thing. But it becomes, what can I do better? What's worth more to me? Um, now, I'm going to answer Susan Shelter and wisecrack when people ask because that's a better default answer. But the truth is, <laughs> I can do more being in. Even at that, even at that basic survival part, it would be understandable to take the direction you did. But what you said in the expansion of that answer is far more uh, intense because you're not just making that decision for you. You're making that decision for everyone that's connected to you. And that's it. And who they're connected to and they're connected to. Like that could actually be a huge network of people. And that's it. I know it would affect it would affect everyone. And, a lot, and even you, if the last thing I'd want is for you to go in somewhere and you to mention that you knew me and I've done something or for someone to hear this show, um, you and I talk about being friends on different things and you go in for a gig. Let's just go over at Paramount because that was my parent company and I've now screwed over Paramount. And they go, oh, we were just looking up Scott and he's associated with this chick who's a loose cannon. Even people you're just, you know, not even that heavily... Uh, tied into business-wise, it's, it's, it's me. I, I just... I'd like to add, too, that's not just a Hollywood problem. That is a problem really? in any structured environment, whether it be, you know, in, in a different way in the military, because you're not allowed to say things that you know about things that people have done to other people. It's that in business. It's that in government. It's that in politics. It's that in every major market share. I didn't has some element of that. The difference is, is that in Hollywood, you have the uh, the NDAs, uh, which then, in addition to you know losing your job and not working again, you also can get sued for huge amounts of money. I have signed an yeah. NDA with you, which is one of the reasons yeah. that I also can't talk about that particular situation because mm -hmm. uh, I don't want you to sue me for... <laughs> You know, uh, but also the the other effects, too. I know the repercussions that that would have if that were to come out. Um, so they are necessary, but they, they should not be necessary for, for those reasons. They should be necessary yeah. for things like I know things about this project and we have a marketing system that we're paying millions of dollars to use. And if you leak this, then it's going to blow that all that money we spent. That's what an NDA should be for. Exactly. Well, I have like I have the script for Guardians three. Mm -hmm. If I put that out online, which I'm going to do to Disney, if you don't hire me, I'm kidding. I'm so kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but like I, 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 you know that because that's been around since Guardians two. Um, but it, it meant NDAs are important, and it's important, especially in entertainment, to know how to keep secrets. It's one of the most important things you can do. Like. I, being able to keep a secret, I think, is a huge skill set in the entertainment industry. The flip side of that is I think it's been bastardized and turned into something evil, where it was there once for a good reason. Yeah, I agree. It's like anything else. It, it Things start out a lot of times, I think, with the greatest intentions. And then when people start finding that they can have an advantage over someone else or that they can rise to power. They start making these subtle changes that you don't really notice until one day you look and you go, oh, my God, what the hell am I agreeing to? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And that's and that's what it is. Like, I came in and this is already the system, but I talk to people about it all the time and they're like, I just don't know how this happened. Right. Um, but what you were saying about it existing outside the film industry, I've never actually worked outside the film industry. Um, but I never thought about it. So you wouldn't you wouldn't see that. 
yeah, I, I didn't think about it, but I was like, but if you look into politics and what's going on, that actually makes sense because it looks like a Hollywood drama right now. It really does. It's it's amazing how that mentality just shifts into anything that's structured. And I think it really comes to people that gain power will do anything to keep their power and anything else to, to get more of it. Yeah, I could see that. Um, now, I want to talk to you about your show because we didn't really do this the last time you were on the show. You've been uh, hosting behind the scenes. It's got to be it's got to be more than six years now. Yeah, about six years. Because I, I remember I wrote the theme, yeah. the theme music when I still lived in Arizona. It was shortly before I moved to California. And that was in mm-hmm. summer of 2014. So, yeah, you've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, I've been doing it about six years. We have about six and a half million listeners. Yeah, and you've got uh, so it's you and Paul Michael Bolin is is your co-host. Mm-hmm. He was on Friends. He was on. I mean, Paul. If you look him up, he goes uh, by a few different names. He's been in the regular film industry. He's been in the adult film industry. Um, he doesn't. He uses two different names for it, but he's been on everything, major projects for years and years and years. And um, I, I uh, I've known him since I was sixteen. I met him on a film I was far too young to do, mm-hmm. uh, where I was like topless and <laughs> a whole bunch of stuff. But he's um, a really cool guy. I've known him for years and years and years. And I like having him on. We have different views politically. Um, he's kind of um, very much a libertarian, and I'm left of Lenin. So um, but politically, it's interesting. And it's funny how much politics has gotten tied into entertainment. Um, because and it's it's literally just because of Trump. He started in the film industry, and everyone in the film industry hates him. I mean, really, really hated him. Like you ask anyone that ever worked with him, they're like, "We're not surprised." Well, what'd you expect? You hired Trump. Well, because during during uh, Reagan's reign, it wasn't really so much so because they weren't. Uh, it wasn't about flash and things back then. It was yeah, he used to do movies. Now he's in politics. And it was really a transition. You didn't see a lot of tie in there where now it's like, well, it's media. Everything is media. So whatever we can do to draw attention, let's throw it at media. And, and media is changing and I'm grateful for it. I like TikTok um, because I think it's a much more wholesome type of social media than most. Um, but the like the Kardashians are kind of, I think, going to be the last real superstars of the old age. Um, because their kind of media is dying. Trump always wanted to be famous. And I think he just saw the White House as another way to be famous. Sure. Um, friends of mine will film over at um, the, Trump ho- the Trump Hotel or the Trump Buildings, and it's actually in the contract that you have to hire him. Oh, really? Okay. Wow. You're, not allowed to, you're not allowed to film there unless you hire him. It's in the contract. You can find it online. People put it out now. I can't even imagine what his day rate is. And well, he uh, he'll take stag minimum. Wow. Um, he just it's whether or not you have to film with him if you want to film there, and so it's it's weird. Yeah, it is. But you you brought up the Kardashians. Is that I've never understood what the draw to that kind of reality show is. I get the reality shows that are like uh, you know contestant oriented, like uh, Hell's Kitchen. Uh, things like that, where people are fighting for something and there's a there's a beginning, a middle and an end and you watch the journey. I don't understand following a family around who's just going out of their way to do things that are buzzwords. Living vicariously. People want to be famous. Is that desirable, though? Like what? Like that kind of lifestyle? Is that what people want? It is. And yeah. something people miss 
like the Kardashians, I'm I'm not a fan of the Kardashians, but my God, I'm a fan of Kris Jenner. Mm-hmm. She took, and, and as much as people like they're famous for nothing, these are some of the hardest working people in Hollywood. No bullshit. If you want to book with them, you've got to book a year out. They're booked every day. They don't so much as take six days. They've gotten their mum's work ethic. Wow. And as much grief as I give their mother, um, and as much grief as I give them, she is an excellent publicist. Look what she made. Um, but that what she did was she went in to a time when the world was good and everyone wanted to be famous. She clued into something that the rest of us didn't get. She looked at the simple life and she looked at all of these things and went, okay, so you guys want to be famous. You want to be celebrities. You want relationship drama. You want to date footballers and basketball stars. And this is what the American dreams become. Fine. I'll sell it to you. So the Kardashians are just a response to what everyone wanted. I guess I find it sad that that's the lowest common denominator. You know, that if, if... Oh, I, I maintain honey boo boo. <laughs> well, okay. um, I'll give you but... that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, something that I find interesting, like, it, it, I agree. But if you go to YouTube, people uh, five years ago, before this pandemic, before people, and I think this pandemic is bringing out some good in people, people would go on and be like, and pretend to be rich and, you know, call everyone else peasants. And it was all about like making yourself feel good and showing that you could, you know, you could do all this. Now with the Kardashians, they've done, I mean, I'm not going to speak up for what they've done, but Kylie Jenner has made a fortune in makeup. They give a ton to charity and Kim Kardashians in law school. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they've sat and done nothing. They have absolutely put the work in. I'm not going to include Kanye West in that because that poor man is mentally ill and they are taking advantage of him. Yeah, that's that's a whole nother uh, episode worth of uh, discussion right there. Yeah. It, but it, it, I guess it just amazes me that that uh, that type of entertainment is what people want. I get the the idea of living vicariously through people that live a, a more lavish lifestyle. It just seems like they you wouldn't want a lifestyle that's just full of arguments and controversy and uh, people being drunk and, and that sort of thing. Uh, the little bit that I've seen of it, just to try and understand what the hype is, I, I just look at it and I go, this just makes me sad. It's The Hills, it's Big Brother. It's all these shows that we were watching mm-hmm. before the Kardashians with money. Now all of a sudden, The Hills is about people with money. Big Brother is about people with money. They didn't create the format. You know, Jersey Shore existed before them. People wanted to see white trash. They went, okay, we'll give you white trash and we'll give you money. Mm. Like, I'm I'm not going to... I can't complain when people show a slot. Right. My points to them for doing it, but I wish as a society we wanted better. Yeah, that's it. And I think after the pandemic and seeing where things are going on uh, platforms like TikTok, I, I think people do want better. You get on TikTok, you see musicians, you see artists, and people are making good money off of it now. Um, a friend of mine, an MMA fighter, uh, he runs a non-profit um, for kids, and he makes good money off TikTok on top of everything else. So it's really a different platform than Instagram. People aren't going on there to be pretty. They're going on to spread messages. Good and bad, but overwhelmingly good. And that's really something that we need right now, uh, especially with people feeling all the things from the pandemic. But there are, like you said, there are some good things that have come out of it. In fact, um, just this week, 
the Nightmare on Elm Street 4 cast did a, a Zoom reunion. That's awesome. And uh, I, I wasn't able to attend that, but I think we're going to start seeing a lot of that. In fact, that company uh, now is looking to put together a lot more of those events where they're getting the cast together because they don't have to worry about logistics as much as just time zone and getting everybody to be in a meeting at the same time. They don't have to fly people in, no hotels, no big uh, cast panel in an audience in a building and all that. We're all just going to get, we're all at home. We're just going to get our computers uh, for an hour and talk. And I think that's good. I think the bad side of that is like in the background here, I have somebody flushing a toilet and running a sink. (laughs) But other other than those problems, I had a cat attack me a few minutes ago. Um, so I'm like dangling my feet off the bed, talking to you. The cat's like, oh, it's playtime. So logistically, there are a few problems I think we all need to work out. I really need an office. But um, I think for the most part, Zoom has brought everyone into each other's living rooms. And I think that's been a godsend. I can't imagine how it was in 1918. Yeah. Um, but I think that if we have a chance uh, as a society to do something good, we should. Um, I look at uh, Aggie is is one of them. She's doing a a series on like uh, aerospace um, right now. uh, She did a a streaming series. She's involved with a couple of different streaming platforms. That's on the E360 TV network. Mm Mm-hmm. And she's done a whole bunch of different stuff. And I think that people have a chance now that they never had before. Mm Mm-hmm. very, very differently. Even you with music, like I'd love to see you put some of your uh, your um, meditation tunes on TikTok because people are always playing music while you're granted. I've heard your meditation tunes, people will crash the car. But beyond that... Um... <laughs> but I'm just going to point out, it doesn't stop you from playing it in the car anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, that's that's very true. And actually, that's uh, it's on my list of things to look into. I'm I'm really trying to balance my social media time with my creative time. And uh, it's it's a tough thing, especially the more platforms you get on. It's like you have to be servicing so many more things now. It depends on who you want to reach. You get on Facebook if you want to reach the boomers. Twitter if you want to hit boomers and Gen X and millennials. And Insta if you want millennials and Gen Z. And TikTok, if you want Gen Z and millennials. It's not as high a bar as most. Like, you're just like, I just want people. I like that. That's a really good way of doing it. But you're right. Everything is very compartmentalized, especially when it comes to any kind of advertising or uh, anything in entertainment. You know, your hashtags have to be on on par for reaching the audience that mm-hmm. you want to reach. You have to be in the places where those people are looking. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a whole game in and of itself that you have to really know how to play if you're going to get on the board. But I think it's a good game. I know everyone's going to hate me for saying that. If, if you use it right. Absolutely. Absolutely. But speaking of using things right, uh, I want to wrap up because uh, with this, because uh, you mentioned earlier that you guys are screaming for content. So one of the biggest things I think that prevents people from reaching out in the first place is how do you, and, and I face this too when I'm doing a music licensing pitch or a film pitch or something, how do you set a proposal so that A, someone like you is going to read it because I'm sure you get a ridiculous amount of emails I do. and B, that you're going to actually be interested enough to take a few minutes to check out what they've got. You're going to hate the answer, but the truth is, um, I listen to people I trust. I've sent in stuff with Scott before. We talked about this horror musical. 
Mm-hmm. And I finally got agreement for that, by the way. Oh, um, good. Uh, but like uh, about two days ago, they're like, yes, if you can do it now, especially. Oh, wow. Um, okay. But like, and you can ask him, I was like fighting back and forth this like two years. Two trying years, to yeah. Stupid. Um, for this stupid thing, I deal with people I know or trust. I have taken things off of people online. Mm-hmm. So it really has to do with how people reach out to you and how straightforward they are. Like I've had people reach me online like, oh, I saw you in this movie. I did this. I know you from this, that, and the other. Can you pretty please do this, that, and the other? I'm like, uh, who the hell are you? Right. Um, then I have people call and are just like, hey, I'm trying to do this. Um, I understand if you don't have time to read it, I'd appreciate if you would. If you don't, can you just give me some advice? Like I, I talk to people online all the time about it. Um, not so much emails. Emails hit Alexis and she ignores them. Uh, no, really, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, no. She she is a filter though, for sure. But but is she it is. is it is the best idea to just reach out and make contact and say, here's what I'm trying to do. Would you be interested in me? sending you this or is it because it, there's a real controversy about whether you should just send your your material in the first email because people don't want to be inundated no. with multiple emails or you do the polite thing like I would do and do the introduction and then say if you're interested I'll send it to you you are dead right Scott um the so people try and do the here's this would you read it I'm like I don't know you mm-hmm. um the easiest way to get your stuff read is to know somebody uh if you don't then you go out of your way to get to know them. What you do is you reach out. And that's exactly it. No one's going to listen to your stuff if you're like, I included this script. Please read it. And chances are they're not going to read the whole script anyway. They're going to read the first five pages. Right. The the interesting thing is with music supervisors, it does go both ways because they are so busy. They don't want an introductory email. Just, just okay, you're a musician. Great. What's your stuff? Give me. I'll give you two minutes. I'm going to check it out right now. If you don't have it right now, ready to go, mastered, uh, ready to be put into a film, you're just, no, goodbye, I don't have time for you. And then there's other music supervisors that are like, hey, you know, I really appreciate you reaching out. I'd love to hear your stuff. Go ahead and send it to me. It's like, it's a really 50-50 thing in that world. So the cheat on that is to do it the same way you wouldn't film. The best way is I've ever seen it done, uh, that five-minute elevator pitch. First, they give two five-minute elevator pitches, both lasting less than 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. I had, and I bought this project, I had someone reach out to me in an introductory email. The entire introductory email was a hard sell on the person, so they sold me on them immediately in like one paragraph, and then their entire pitch was one paragraph in the next email. Mm. So it was really done very short. There wasn't a lot of thought to it. And then I was reaching out for more information. So... The introductory email sold me on them, and then their project email sold me on the project. So step one, give me a reason to be interested in you. Give me a reason to be interested in you. Step two, give me a reason to be interested in your project. Mm, I like um, it. But you are, you, you are dead right on the um, that. The reason people say don't send me the introductory email is because they don't want to bother with you. The catch is, if someone doesn't want to bother with you, they're only taking your content to fill a slot. They're not going to work with you long term. If someone likes you, they'll keep working with you. Mm-hmm. So you want to look, you want to sell yourself so that they like you enough to talk to you. If they like you enough to talk to you, they'll listen to your stuff because it's not just them about taking what they do like. You want an answer if they don't like it. And that's sometimes more important. And they'll only give you that answer if they don't, if they do like you. 
That makes sense. So you can get an answer saying, I like your stuff, or I don't like your stuff, or no, thank you. But what's more important is them saying, I don't really like this, but do you have something else? And they'll only do that if they like you. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to the second part now where you said, okay, I'd like to see what you got. Go ahead and send it to me. Are you looking for the full script or a treatment or a trailer or what, what kind of content do you want to see? It doesn't really matter. I've bought stuff just because I talked to the person. Mm-hmm. Um, I've pitched stuff that you brought up to me that uh, even before <laughs> like before I've seen anything on it, one, because I trust you, two, because I like what you said. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, now I don't know if I've pitched to that degree if I didn't know someone. But um, if if you send me something that's really good, a really good like overview, like it's one paragraph, it takes me you know less than a minute to read and gets me interested, then I'm going to ask you for more. Do you have this? Do you have that? And the minute you get the do yes, someone's going to hire you. Excellent. And then I guess the the other uh, question I have about this because we're in a situation where uh, the opportunity to film is so minimal. And you guys need content now, but you also need content for the future. Is there any mm-hmm. restriction to, okay, you're doing a series. I need to have at least five episodes that are ready to show uh, before I can take it. Or is there, a, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, is there a limitation on how far along it needs to be? Um, so right now, if you have footage that's already shot and it's sitting in a trash can, we'll take it. If you have a good idea that's a year out, we'll take that too. Okay. Um, so you can have the worst film ever, have it sitting in a trash can on like, you know, on, on Super 8, pulled apart, just like loose film. And we'll buy that right now. <laughs> Clean it um, before you send it, please. <laughs> please, you know, take the, take the cat litter off it, but we'll still buy it. <laughs> right. um, we're, we're, we're pretty hot up. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's really amazing. It just, it dried up so fast. It really did. I'm not, well, it's so many outlets. Like, gratefully, I'm not in purchasing. Mine's predominantly distro, so I'm the one you talk to. Like, you want to be famous, I'm the one you talk to. You want your film famous, I'm the one you talk to. Mm-hmm. But, like, as far as purchasing goes, I have friends of mine, like, do you have anything? I'm like, not since you talked to me yesterday. Hey, well, do you know anyone? Dude, if I knew anyone, I would tell you, Jesus, <laughs> come. But I'm going to lose my job. We have nothing. Right. I'm like, breathe. Please <laughs> get a drink. But it's we have so many avenues, and everyone's competing for the same sh- the same crap, and it's bad stuff. <laughs> like you can give me a really bad show, and I can throw it in the middle of the arena. And you will have HBO, Netflix, Hulu, um, Disney. Like they'll all dog pile on it and fight for it. And you'll have Amazon in the background throwing money, going "Come here!" Like it's just bad. And and that film could limp out, dragging its tail, looking like Quasimodo. And they're like, yes, I want you. <laughs> it's, bad. it's bad. Now I'm scared for what Netflix is going to look like in uh, in December. <laughs> oh, no. I've seen what Netflix is going to look like. It's one of those, well, everyone quit their Netflix subscription. We're going to HBO. Well, that's the end of HBO. TikTok, you say. I'm interested in this new platform. <laughs> um, they're buying stuff off TikTok. Like stand-up comedians are getting their stuff purchased off TikTok, put together and released. Maybe I'll just sit there and watch this candle burn down to nothing. <laughs> you might do better. Where they have done really well now is they're buying a lot of shows out of England and Germany and uh, Japan and Korea. And so content that we wouldn't get before and independent content that we wouldn't get before that's genuinely good, 
we're now getting a chance to watch. So I like that. There is some really good content too. I have watched a few of those movies, the ones I was talking about with the dubs earlier. And I'll tell you, they are some mm-hmm. really good movies. They're shot beautifully. They have a great storyline. Yep. They're very predictable like most movies are now. But they're they're quality stuff. The only difference was we didn't have an English version. And I don't think many people watch movies with subtitles because we don't really sit and watch movies. We have them on while we do other things now. I, I watch movies with subtitles, but I would never market a movie to me because any movie that was marketed to me would fail. Well, if you ever need a voiceover, just remember, I did like three voices on Roar. So I, I I'm fully professional now. I, I did not play a lion, though. I did make a couple of lion like oh. sounds in that movie, uh, but I did not play an actual lion. See, but now I have to go see it because you did the voice. That's <laughs> it, important. It, it was a fun project. I'll just say that. Uh, my last question for you, I'd like to clear up another little Hollywood controversy. Um, when people talk about how much a movie costs to make, and then they talk about how much the movie made in the box office in the initial run, whether it be, you know, the first theater theatrical run. And they talk about whether the movie made money or not. They are not including the advertising budget in that, correct? They're just no. talking about the cost of the film. So when they say a movie should have made X amount of money, it, it probably hasn't even come close to that cap yet. No. So if I have a film that costs me $10 million, uh, about half of that $10 million, that's what it would have cost me in cash. Now, I can say the budget was more to make it sound more impressive by including the trade. But you would say now my budget was $50 million. Now, to make back that budget, because your trades are included as part of your cost, um, so I have a $50 million budget, which means I need at least $50 million in advertising. So now I'm at a $100 million budget which means opening weekend, I need to make that. Plus, I need to have that put together for secondary run streaming, uh, nas- uh, national and international. So that $10 million film in the end is going to cost you $100 million. Right. But when they talk about it in the public eye, they don't. They only talk about the, the $50 million. Yeah, you're going to hear $50 million. And then you're going to be, you know, you're going to hear um, the projection. Now, the projection makes a difference, too. Films like The Wild Wild West, uh, Wild West with Will Smith, made its money back, fine. But it didn't hit its projection, so it was considered a flop. Whether or not it flops is based on what's projected. If my $10 million film has a $50 million projection and I make $100 million, it's considered a blockbuster. If it's got a... If it's got a $50 million projection and I make $49 million, it's considered a flop. That's crazy. If I make $50 million, it's considered okay. And it's all based on what we sit down and project the film should make based on advertising costs and who was marketed it to. That is so crazy because there could be a number of factors that you couldn't foresee that would affect why it didn't hit that target. And it's still a failure, even though it was it could be profitable. Like, Wild West was considered a failure. I actually thought it was quite a good film. Um, it's just entertaining and silly, exactly what it's supposed to be. But they added, uh, like, $30 million to its projected um, growth simply because Will Smith was in it. Ah, uh, and therein lies that same Johnny Depp issue we were talking about earlier. Exactly. Now, Will Smith is the perfect example, and they expected it to make more than it did simply because it was Will Smith. Mm-hmm. And they weren't trying to hold on to a property on that one, so they very much did care. But they don't make money. They were pissed. Right. Really, really pissed. Mm-hmm. 
That's amazing. It just like those kind of things are the things that baffle me about how businesses work. Because to me, success is, was it profitable? Is it something that we took money from that we can invest in something else? We can pay our people. Everyone's taken care of. Like to me, that's successful. Um, and on another level, just the fact that they finished the film and people saw it is successful. But when you're talking about. I, I agree with you. Some. It's not a random number of projection because it's based on, you know, calculations. Oh, I get it's, that. Hang on. It's, no, it's not. It's pretty damn arbitrary. I've written up projections and I always keep my projections low. Okay. So people go one of two ways. They either sell the movie on this is going to be a boom and they risk it all. It's like betting at roulette. Um, or they do what I do and always bet conservative. Uh, that Hence, I've never had a flop. It's not because I'm, like, I'm involved with great films. You know I'm not. Right. Uh, <laughs> I'm involved with some garbage. I'm just saying right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm involved with some real garbage. But I keep my projections really low. But that's not really honest either. I know they're going to make more than I project. So it's really at a lot of it's at the discretion of the producers and the distributors. But if you don't hit the mark, really flop. A real flop, like it's called a red line film, is what we call it, which is when the film, um, you, can, you can call it a red line or a flat line film. And what that means is it didn't even make back what it cost to make. If it doesn't do that when it opens, it's over. Right. It's over for everyone involved. And how long is the time frame that they have to make that back before that decision is made? Well, it's weekend one, because opening weekend, by the time you open, it's not just about what you're making in the theater. By the time this is released, you should have your secondary distribution, your third-tier distribution, and your international distribution set for where it's going to play after theaters. So I'd already have my Netflix deal set. I'd already have all of that stuff set after the fact on whatever you know third-tier cable station it's going to play on eventually. So all of that should be set before it opens in theaters. Now, people take risks, think it's going to be a blockbuster, and say, I'm not setting this till after it opens. That can work really well in cases like Titanic. They did that. Um, they also did it on digital media then, but whatever. Uh, but they've done it in, in cases where it's done really well and in cases like John Carter where it hasn't. Mm -hmm. So I've never taken that risk. Um, there are very few women in my job, and I actually don't feel entitled to take risks because when I do, when other women are judged and hired or not hired by what I do, so I try and stay very conservative. It's not fair. It's not right, but it's the reality. Well, plus it's just smart business to keep yourself in a position of being successful. Yeah, you know it, it is. But you have so there's a bigger opportunity for expand to to expand what you can do or the budget you work on by taking those risks. Oh sure, yeah. But I, it affects too many people if I fail. Exactly. I just I have too many people tied to me, so I'm I'm very conservative in how I um, do things. But it also keeps me. I, I always have films that do very well because of it. Um, but the, so it does happen. But when those films are actually redlined, everyone's getting fired. The entire, the entire production group at Disney got fired after John Carter. The entire board was replaced. They brought back the guys that were there before. They thought they were going to be smart asses and get rid of the old guys. And replace them with like young, new, hip guys. You know, guys in their 50s and 60s rather than guys in their 90s because that's new, young, and hip. And we won't even talk about Waterworld. Yeah. <laughs> <But> they're, <laughs> they're like, we're just going to bring in, like, young people. And I, I got to be honest, these old guys, as much grief as we give them, the 90-year-old guys that have been there forever, 
oh my God, they know what they're doing. Well, they've made the mistakes, right? They've learned from yep. things over the years. There, There is an advantage to hiring experience over age, I've always felt, because with, with younger people, it's like buying a, a really fairly new used car. You're, you're buying someone else's problems, where if you buy a car yeah. that's already had all those things replaced and those repairs made, you've got a sturdy vehicle. I, I think it's that's the same it. way with people. I'm a much better hire now than I was at 21 because I've been through a lot of stuff. I know how to avoid mistakes. I agree. Um, so it does make sense. The, well, these guys, more than that, the one skill they have, the biggest skill they have, and the thing I've learned most from them is the know your weaknesses. I get calls. I don't work for these guys. I haven't worked for them in years. But I interned with one of their friends, and they remember me as the kid fixing their phones. So I still get calls, but like this button isn't working on my phone. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you? You have an assistant. Why are you calling me? <laughs> um, I don't. I would never actually say this to them because I'm terrified. Sure. But I just, I just do whatever they ask. But um, they know their weaknesses. Like you walk in, apparently you walk in with the old guys. They're drunk at 10 a.m. smoking cigars and eating a steak. I don't know how they're alive. <laughs> you know, with their 20 year old third wife. But. You go in and you have a two-minute conversation with them and I'll go in and I'll say, well, I'm thinking this. And they'll look at me and go, no, it's wrong here, 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 and here. They don't care how you feel about it. They don't care what you think about it. Here are the facts. If you want this to succeed, you do A, B, C, D. Um, or then I get a call from them and it's, hey, we're looking at doing digital something on the computer phone. I'm like, what now? <laughs> the computer phone. We need it to do the thing with the Twitters. I'm like, okay, let's try again. Don't you have a digital team? Yes, but they're idiots. They're ah, not listening. Right. And so what happens is the digital team won't listen to the old guys on how to market. The marketing hasn't changed. Where you put it may have, but what these guys have to say is still right. And so where Disney messed up bad is they went, the young people don't call it the Twitters. We're going to go with them. And the old guys didn't even bark. They just went, okay, give me my severance. When I got a call from one of them years ago, and he's like, wait till you see the shit show that's about to happen. <laughs> okay, I got my severance. Plus, they're going to give me triple when they have to bring me back to fix their, their, their fuck up. Right. I was like, what are you talking about? He said, just wait for it. And he was right. They called him right after it came out to come back. So he got his severance, a new contract, and three times the money. Nice. Because he knew no matter how well these kids know social media, they don't know how to get into your head the way these old guys do. So they take the same principles they used for selling film in 1940 and use it now, but they use it on social media. The, the old guys know. It's the same thing in music. You know, I'm really glad that I used to work on uh, the big analog consoles and I know how to splice tape and I know how to use a reel-to-reel -reel machine yep. because they have all those are emulated in the digital world now and I know how to set them because I use the real things and I don't have to use templates. I can actually make things work. So I can definitely uh, understand and appreciate where they're coming from on that. And I'm glad they're still around to tell us, uh, here's what you need to do. Well, we need them. And I, I know people don't get that, but like the, the new people need you and I. Mm -hmm. I think every generation needs the older ones because they've gained the experience we have yet to bumble our way through. You know, um, I'm a millennial, Gen Z is coming up after me, and I have people asking me questions. And I feel like a genius. I'm like, yes, this is how you do this. And I talk to one of the old guys, and they're like, sit down, you little retard. <laughs> I'm like, thanks. 
You whippersnapper. Don't use that word. It's not politically. Yeah. Well, no, I'm like, don't use that word. It's not politically correct. Right. Like, they're like, we don't care. Yeah. We're you know, old. They're, or their response is, we, we're, we're diverse. We have a woman and a black. I'm like, don't say you have a woman and a black. Yeah. They're like, you're a woman. I'm like, yes, I am. Don't say have a woman and a black. They're, and they're like, well, then what should we call him? Darnell. Call him Darnell, <laughs> damn it. It's perpetually 1951, and that's uh, just how it's going to be for a while. Well, Summer, I can't thank you enough for, for coming back in, on the show and uh, giving us all this great information. Folks, please, for the love of God, we need content. Submit it. Get past your fears, whatever you're worried about. The worst they're going to do is say, no, I don't ever want to hear from you again. Uh, no, really. Uh, you know, If something's not right, this is a great opportunity to get your stuff out there to learn uh, if something's not right, how you can fix it. So the next thing you submit might get through. We don't know how long this is going to go on. So yeah. this is, this is a time to step up. I, I would say I'm, I'm, my name is Summer Helene, S-U-M-E-R-H-E-L-E-N-E. You can find me on all social media that way. Mm-hmm. If they turn down your stuff, take it as an opportunity to fix it. Cause they're taking crap. Right? Like you really write this. If you can't sell it right now, there's a problem. I promise you can sell it. Not to say that if they do take it, yours is crap. But we're, yeah, but, <laughs> it, it may be might fine. be really good. <laughs> right. But they're also taking crap. So this is the time. Yes. <laughs> well, Summer, I, I hope that you, uh, you know, you guys get through this, that uh, we find some way to sustain. And uh, it's just a crazy time. But all we can do is the best we can do. And uh, I appreciate you being out there to uh, to hear what people have and, and, you know, see if we can make some new new content, new ideas happen. I'd love that. Now's a great time for new ideas. Yes. Well, thank you, Summer. You take care and come back and see us again. Absolutely. Yay. Thank you for having me. You bet. Take care. Well, it's all just crazy, isn't it? What's going on out there? Like I said, you know, in the intro, I kind of had a feeling that the content is, is got to be running thin at some point because there's only so much that was shot, only so much to edit and, and add things to. And pretty soon it's going to start thinning out because they can't be producing uh, in the quantities that they're used to yet. Now everybody's at home. So the demand is even bigger. It's uh, it's a weird, weird teeter-totter the way that this scale has been working. So we'll see what happens, but get your submissions in. Thank you guys for hanging out with me for another episode of the show. Please remember to send in your album review requests and also uh, any guest requests that you have and uh, any comments or anything that you have, scott at scotthaskin.com. Thank you guys very much, and I will be back next week with another episode. <laughs>